there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Misok Kwonga. I'm Ryan Han. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm wonderful, actually. How are you? Yep. Yeah. Is it because both our teams won this weekend, which feels like a rarity that they've both won at the same weekend <laughs> this season? <laughs> That's actually not where I derive my primary sense of joy. Um, huh. I, I mean, very sensible of you. I ate some very good seafood at the weekend and that's oh, just made me very happy. Go. Living yeah, life. That's made me happy. Yeah. So that's that. That's that's about that's that's really the high point of my weekend. But um, yeah, it was delightful. Um, we hope everyone else is staying safe, staying well, uh, wherever you are. And um, talk about feasting. We're going to feast on some football today. Yes, absolutely. Because yeah. oh, mm, mm, oh, I needed someone pass me. A, <laughs> oh, just it's just so good. We're just I'm at the all you can eat football buffet. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot this weekend. A massive game in the Bundesliga title race. This Incredible weekend. game too, yeah. Another ma- a massive game in the La Liga title race. Yes. We'll also round up some other stuff, including some Premier League results. But we have to begin with Ivory Coast's AFCON win. We do. Wow. Because? Phoenix from the Flames. The hosts that lo- who lost to Nigeria... Then lost to Equatorial Guinea 4-0 to Equatorial Guinea as the host nation and then to qualify as the fourth best. So basically the, the, the final qualifier for the next fourth round. Fourth best third place. Fourth best third place. And then went on to win the damn tournament. They won the whole thing. Haven't got a goal down in the final. Yes. The same goal scorer who scored the winner against them, Truce de Kong, in the group stages. I mean... There's like no precedent for that at international level. <laughs> it's absolutely wild. Incredible. Um, and actually, I, th- I, think, I think Nigeria were probably everyone's favourites going into the game, despite Ivory Coast being the home favourites, if you like. I think home, home advantage is always a benefit. But you, we, as we saw with England in the Euros, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win it. True, but just credit to Ivory Coast because that midfield three, Saka Fafana, Kessier and Seri just shut down shop. I mean, that, that actually, that, that midfield, it's one of those ones where it's time finally came. You know, when you look at Jean-Michel Serri's arc and how this is a guy that was looked at by Barcelona, right? And he was, there was a he, lot of, he was also like Trebel, Hatem Trebelsi levels of Arsenal signing, where yeah, was right, he was going to sign and then it just always <laughs> linked. It felt like this victory for Ivory Coast 
was the culmination of a couple of players' careers. You look at Sebastian Eller as well, mm. who had a great run at Eintracht Frankfurt, got home moved to Dortmund, or got moved to Ajax, then Dortmund, and has always been... Via the Premier League. Slightly, slightly out of the window of the biggest prizes. Very close, obviously, last year with Borussia Dortmund, um, mm. having a penalty save that could have caught in the title. But this somehow ended up with the biggest win of all and the one well, that may mean the most of all. Can we talk about the goal and stuff in a little bit? Because I think the game itself was really interesting because Nigeria was, yeah, from kickoff looked like they were going to kind of creep into early dominance. But actually, I think Ivory Coast did a really good job of holding them off and had yeah. by far the better overall of that first half. Yeah. Um, had some really, really good moments and probably could have took the lead earlier. There were a couple of chances where they could have done better with. Yeah. A couple of the near post finishes. Yeah. Yeah. The goal... It was against the run of play. I yes, think, yes, yes, yes. If there was any side that were looking like they were going to take, take the lead in that first half, it was Ivory Coast. Mm. And I kind of expected Nigeria to kick on after that. I think Ivory Coast, the fact that they got back into it, they deservedly got back into it after the hour mark with Franck Cassier, who, mm. another player who you just think like, man, I miss Milan Franck. Yeah. Maybe I really does, miss him playing in that Milan midfield. And... You know, a, a long-time Stadio favourite, Frank Kessier, during mm. his time at Milan. And just seeing Kessier... Even, even Rakitic's school of unappreciated midfielders, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, seeing Kessier and Allaire get the goals for Ivory Coast just seemed almost poetic. It was, it was underappreciated players getting their moment. Mm. That's what it was for me. If you look at the arc of their careers and now having a trophy that Obviously, Kessier had his success in Serie A, but something about him getting this place to shine for his own country just means that bit more. It's only the third um, AFCON win for Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And the fact they were central to it is such a big deal. I love it. And to do it in this style too was really, really important. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Kessier winning that Serie A. He also won the league the following season with Barca. And just plug, that's the thing, he's a plug and play. And that's why I compare him to Rakitic because... He took a lot of criticism, actually, when he arrived at Barca, mm. because I think there was a sense still, you know, this identity crisis that Barca had where they wanted to play a certain way. And Lucchesi has got great technique, don't get me wrong, but he also has that kind of ebullience, power, um, was a very pragmatic signing. And I think he was criticised more for the idea of him, for what he actually produced. I mm. think like his signing, his signing basically epitomised the type of short-termism that Barcelona fans at the time were like, oh no, this is a sign of difficult things to come. But he came in and just delivered, actually. Mm. Um, and I really respected him for that. And it's just nice to see him in the latest stage of his career crowning it like this. And this generation now of like, of Ivory Coast players, they're kind of legends, actually. Absolutely. Against, against all odds, yeah, yeah, yeah. But on Ale, um, do you want to talk about Ale a little bit? I kind of just want to talk about his finish because I think right. it's absolutely fucking incredible. There were a couple of peach near post finishes actually this weekend, but Karen, sorry. Yeah, yeah, on. totally. No, no, I was going to say it was one of those that if, if it had been a Zlatan Ibrahimovic finish, yep. like if that had been Zlatan Ibrahimovic, it, we would be seeing that on like little kind of Twitter highlight videos forever. Like um, a glanced volley off his, off studs. his studs into the far corner. Following to, to win AFCON. Following his bounce volley in the semi, are those two of the best centre-forward finishes 
in a semi-final and final back-to-back that we've seen in major tournaments in years. The man won the semi and the final with two elite, elite centre-forward finishes. Just the, the, the level of, uh, what do I want to say, kind of um, creativity to do right, that. absolutely. Yeah. Because it's creativity and it's control. Because coming in at, like, I mean, he's a big dude and he had his leg yep. up high and he was jumping. So this Body would have across been, the marker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And to guide it with your studs. Elite. Elite. Absolutely incredible. Like, I, I hope the this goal is getting yeah. so much love all around the world because it deserves to. The level of difficulty reminded me of was when um, that goal fabric where Tiger Woods juggles a ball with his club and that like, smacks it down the fairway. It's that level of like control, that level of like to have that face and that touch. It, the, the level of execution it takes to do that, and it won't always come off, but the fact that they, you managed to do that in a, like a continental cup final is... Dare I say, very Olivier Giroud. You know that like the, the select group of, the select group of, you know, it's the cliche, like good touch for a big man, but the select group of target men who have exceptional technique at close quarters. Mm. Ale Giroud, obviously Zlatan is in that bracket. It's just, I just, I just love seeing the craft. There was another one. The reason I mentioned this close race finish is one that um, Marcus Tram gets for, against Roma this uh, weekend in the 4-2 win. Uh, Inter's great 4-2 win away against Roma. Yeah, and the same thing, just watching players just crash the six-yard box with intention, purpose, and finesse. It's just, I love to see it. It's such an old-school art. Old-school art. It's actually when people ask me what you're like. (laughs) (laughs) Intention, purpose, and finesse. That's basically the the Buzog Wagaway. Oh, the dream. If only, Ryan, if only. Battery gets you everywhere. I did, I did, I must say, I did acquire it. Quite excited. So I, I'm playing football for the first time in months. In a no couple way. Of in some tournament. And I fight, Ryan, I bought, I bought a pair of like. Did you get credit? I bought a pair of Astros. I, I did. <gasps> the new ones with the tongue? The white ones. No. Dude. dude. Who do you think you are? An old Jude Bellingham? They're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> Prude Bellingham over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you score many, many goals, because as I kept saying in the right house group during the West Ham Arsenal game, goals are great. I really love goals. They're wonderful, aren't they? They're a delight. Just goals and red cards, man. Like, I'm telling you, man, that's, we should do that for Stadio Merch. Because people can pretend they want to get into the X and O's about everything and all the, all the deep data, but all people want is red cards and goals. They, they know what they came there for. So an amazing win for Ivory Coast. Didier Drogba loved it. Him running yep. up the stairs for the equaliser and just like punching the air was incredible. Uncle and, was in his um, bag, yeah. Are we going to talk about Faye? Will he retire? As, well, as he's coached manager? four games. He's coached four games. I would just bounce. You'd be a legend I mean, if you're forever. winning an international tournament once every four matches. That's like Zenedine yeah. Zidane in <laughs> international form. That's just true, yeah. Up. yeah it's just, true. just rock up every day. Just, just say, listen, I'm only taking over if they get out of the group. Every tournament. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a job, man. Like, guiding them through that. That was, that was a very, I can imagine that was a very difficult thing to do. Just take it and bounce. Get freedom of Abidjan and bounce. That's it. <laughs> um, Great congratulations, Ivory Coast. Huge congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was also the Asian Cup final this weekend. Qatar beating Jordan 3-1. Um, so two hosts winning the two tournaments. 
Mm. Could this go down as one of the most iconic celebrations in an international final ever? Oh my gosh, the magic, the magic Ooh, trick. The first of Akram Afif's hat-trick goals. Hat-trick of penalties. Yes. His first the country, of country in a final. Wild. He then pulls a card out and does an actual magic trick. It was like a really, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I was like, whoa, 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 hang on, hold up, hold up, hold up. What are we doing? Like, what, what, uh, what? Anyway. I mean, it's go. a high level, a high level of flex has to be said. Not only are you playing in an international tournament, you're so confident you're going to score in the final that you're like, I'm just going to pack this little uh, card. I'm going to, I'm going to rock a trick in the final. That's going to work in front what of What would you do? What would your millions? magic trick be if you scored a goal in an international final? Can I be honest? I'd lose all composure and the referee would have to put me back in my own half. The ref would be like, no, 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 kick off from there. He'd be like, no, no, okay, right, okay, Musa, um, can you? I think I'd just lose it, actually. And then you'd push the ref, the ref would book you twice, and then you'd, be, then you'd run off celebrate again. <laughs> celebrate more for the sending off in the final. <laughs> you'd get booked you, for what, the send, what, take your shirt off to celebrate, get booked again, and then do a lap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Qatar winning the Asian Cup as well. And... Mm. Uh, and that's it. The, the mid-season international tournaments are, are now done and all the players are returning to their clubs. Some with better fortunes than others. Indeed. Which we will maybe get onto after this break. Maybe, maybe. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. All right, man, let's go to the second best league in the world. <laughs> Such a joker. Such a joker. Because you and I are going to a fixture in the best league in the world this Friday. And we're we so hyped. Indeed. AKA, they say that Leverkusen Bayern was the big one. But Hertha against Magdeborg is actually the big one on a Friday. Magdeborg coming off a big win as well. They, off a well, big they, win against St. Pauli. First, yeah. the St. Pauli's first defeat of the season comes, comes to Magdeborg. And we're, we're going to go and watch the Kingmakers this weekend in Berlin. Absolutely. Can't wait. With our good friend Lee, whom we're very hyped about. Um, but anyway, on to the second best league in the world because we can't always talk about the best league in the world. We cannot. We are talking about, of course, Bayer Leverkusen's 3-0 win over Bayern in the top spiel de Vocca on Saturday evening. Um, Musok Wonga. Wow. Give me your breakdown. A demonstration. Simple as that. You know, if you look at even the breakdown very quickly of the ball possession, so Leverkusen had about 40% possession and obviously... Bayern had 60, but Leverkusen had exactly as much as they wanted of the ball, did exactly what they wanted with it, moved Bayern all over the pitch, even when they were in game control state, still created a better quality and quantity of opportunity, and then closed them out with arguably the goal of the game, I mean, which is saying something because the second goal was pretty beautiful too, and just looked like not only one of the best teams in Germany but one of the best teams in Europe and a team that would grace the Champions League there's still plenty of football to play anything can happen obviously in this league you know five points is a margin that Bayern can bring back but something about this felt 
absolutely definitive. And it was so strange for a game of this quality, you'd expect it to be tighter, but within about 15, 20 minutes, I was just shaking my head in awe. It was not, just, not even just because of the fluency of what Leverkusen did, but because it was like every single trap they set came off. And you could even see, and we'll get into that once you've you know, given us your take on it, you could literally see individual Bayern players looking around going, we're just walking into ambush after ambush after ambush. It was spectacular. How I, think do you Bayern, find it? I, I think Bayern were a mess. If you they look were, at they were, they, they were. Um, the, there was a lot of talk about, oh, we were actually in the game. Um, Tuckle on German TV afterwards was saying that they were in the game early on, and that um, you know he said something like, uh, "Oh, this wasn't a three 0 game." Like someone just said, the XG was like one to point five or something, so it's not a three 0 game. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't actually, see that at all. I, didn't I mean, see that at all. I get it, but he's also a smarter manager than that. You know, he knows that that doesn't really count for anything. There was a bigger thing at play here. And I think that when teams like basically allow Bayern to have possession, it's usually because they know that they have to hold out for 90 minutes and maybe try and scrap them from a corner. Mm. What was different about this game was that uh, Leverkusen let Bayern have as much of the ball as they wanted Mm. and were completely comfortable. Yes. Under no, in no way, like Eric Dyer, to his credit, I think said this to Archer in after the game about how, yeah, we had a lot of the ball, but a lot of it was on the halfway line. We didn't really have anything, we didn't really do anything with it. And Jabby Alonso said, we didn't have the ball, but I think we controlled the game without the ball. Totally. And, and the difference was that as soon as Bayern turned the ball over, they were scrambling the back line crossing over numerous occasions not, and not once did that Bayern back line look like they were ever in sync. Never. Never looked like they were holding a line. Never looked like they were really communicating on a level. And I think that's, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I think that goes to, I think that's what made Thomas Tuchel's selection and decision to go to a back three. While you can kind of understand it. Awful. It made it, um, it made it really perplexing that he then doubled down on it afterwards. Leverkusen were just taking they anything they kind of wanted when they, when they wanted it. They turned Bayern around towards their own goal. They were creating co- opportunities. They got in behind that, that back line. Um, Upper Meccano had a couple of last-ditch tackles. Kim Min-Jae kind of looked a little bit out of sorts on that left-hand side of a back three. The decision to play Sasha Bowie uh, left-back, I think, was... Left-wing-back. Dude, it I, was... I'd say curious. <laughs> Um, but bear in mind, he is a right back. Yeah, no, I, I just, can I just say what really struck me about this decision to go to this back three? The things that concerned me, first of all, it was, it was the first admission of weakness because you're going, you're trying to go man for man against the team that's played this system all year long and perfected it. And you're bringing this in. And then what you're doing is unfortunately, you go to back three, that's one, well, you know, that's, that's understandable in one perspective, but let's, Let's, let's hang with Tuchel and say, okay, the logic was man for man. Okay, fine. But what you're doing then is you are putting Eric Dyer in a foot race with Adley every time. Adley and Teller are in a foot race with this man every time. That is a nightmare at the heart of your defence. You're then putting Opamecano in a situation where he's uncomfortable because you're dragging him effectively. You're effectively making him because you're pushing up the wing backs. You're effectively making him to a right centre-back out on the touchline 
which is a disaster because then he's having to turn and sprint infield all the time. That is a nightmare for him. You're splitting him and Kim. So in their natural chemistry, you've got Dyer in the middle of it and Dyer, okay, is getting all the ball, but he's doing nothing really with it. And the moment he's put under pressure, he's yeah, bucking. I, I actually don't think it was Eric Dyer's fault. Well, really. I'm not blaming him, but he's exposed. No, 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 no not blaming him. It's like, that. Yeah. how do you put someone in the middle of a, of, a, of a back five and leave them more exposed with minimal possession? I mean, that takes some doing. And this sounds really harsh, but there was a moment in that game where you see Manuel Neuer panicking because he looks up and two minutes earlier, a Pamecano has tried to play up the line to Masrawi. And of course, they've hunted that mismatch, Leverkusen. So he's thinking, I can't play that. The last minute changes his mind and goes crossfield. But because Kim is so far, he overhits this pass and shanks it into touch. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, he's, instead of hitting a 10-yard pass, he's hitting a 25-yard pass. And all of a sudden, the pitch is just far too big. And he's looking around thinking, I don't have an out. I don't have an out. And because he's, he's had Dyer hunted down, on a slice pass before, a Pamacano has been hunted down, Kim is the out, and then all of a sudden Leverkusen are like, good, there's food here. And then you've got Pavlovic, bless him, who's like, doesn't mess up much, but isn't really switching the ball, is being screened everywhere by Chaka. And you're looking up and you're just thinking, there's this like, this chain mail of three and four, that is the front seven almost. The Leverkusen front seven is just, you know, the, the decision to use um, Adley instead of Schick was a masterstroke because mm. I think a back three is planning on having Schick there as a fixed point and then someone like Dyer to like bounce off him, pin him, and then all of a sudden you've got this completely unmarkable three where you've got Teller, who is primarily a ball carrier as opposed to like a playmaker, Vitz, who's dropping off like Baggio again, just like dropping into space and just killing them, like just unbelievable touch. The man completes, what, 42 out of 50 passes. In the, you know, all over the pitch. It's just killing them with the movement. And then Adley's movement is so direct, almost like, like Daniel Marlin with like full, at full confidence. It's like that. Mm. And you just, they didn't know what to do with it. And I, I just thought watching Leverkusen in this game was a classic example of thrashing a team with minimal possession. Mm. It was like high speed raiding. I think I said to you in the chat, how have they managed to somehow sacrifice ball possession for speed, but also lose none of the match control. I mean, that is, that is a coaching masterpiece. Because that's, I actually think that's what Tuchel tried to do. Yeah, I think that's I think it, what Tuchel yeah, tried yeah. to do. I think Tuchel tried to, tried to match up with that Leverkusen mm. back three. But the problem was that like Leverkusen were doing this thing where they were essentially defending as a five. Mm. When they had the ball and they pushed forward, they split to a back four, basically. Romaldo pushing up and pushing in it allowed them to work their angles like they've been working all season. Yes. Leverkusen just created so much in terms of like in between the boxes with very mm. kind of minimal effort. Whereas Bayern, it felt like they had to work really, really hard to create anything. And when they did, it was always, it always felt a bit forced. It was weird. It was almost like their decision-making was, was of that with a team that was uh, without the ball. That often, not having all yes. the ball. Well, they didn't have, they had no combination. In a sense, they didn't have the ball because the combinations in the Bayern team were just not as much practiced as the Leverkusen ones. Leverkusen, basically, they're like the Deportiva, La Coriana team, I think I mentioned before, where you basically plug and play, where everyone knows their role so well that whoever comes in knows exactly where their job is. Mm. Whereas the thing that Bayern have got is they've got so many parts that are relatively new that don't have established dynamics. For example, like Goretzka Pavlovich is not they haven't, they just haven't got the reps. They haven't played like 30 games together, right? So you're bringing them in against the team 
that is so well drilled, like the Leverkusen one. At close quarters, like the one-two touch, the triangles, those things will expose you, right? In a, you know to me, and this is not to knock Goretzka or Pavlovich, it's not their fault, it's just they are up against a midfield that is so drilled, that is so in sync. And also very old, very wily. You know, you've and you got saw, like, you saw, yeah, yeah, you saw the Yeah, you got a 19 year old in Pavlovich coming into that midfield with Leon Goretz. And Kimmich has been injured anyway, so he's been. Yeah, he had a slight struggling. shoulder problem, so he came on for the last half hour, but I mean, maybe it was too risky to start him, especially because Bayern have got Bayern go to Lazio this week in the Champions League, which is back. Mm. Um, but you know, you've got a 19 year old stepping into that midfield in one of the biggest games of the season, and you've got, and you're looking at Granit Xhaka and Robert Andrich. Dude, like two Andrich dudes who have like who have been around the block and like know their shit and then you're having to try and like decide whether you're going to drop in and track Florian Wirtz or pass on like Nathan Teller to someone and it's it's you could see the the havoc that it kind of caused by it and what I was yeah. going to say before was if you mm. look at Tuchel's selection to me when I looked at that team selection I was a bit like okay he's expect this looks like a team that is expected to uh, hit Leverkusen on the counter-attack Mm. So it, it was almost like Tuckel blinked, like you mentioned, and picked a side that would be able to absorb some pressure, play out to Musiala, Sane and Kane, and basically like hit Leverkusen on the break, expecting Leverkusen to have all the ball. And what Jabi Alonso did really well was, it's just like, no, actually, you have the ball. Right. And the extreme confidence to pick a system and a, and, and a lineup to give Bayern all the ball and be like, no, actually, you figure out how to hurt us. We're not going to give it to you. And they couldn't it. do it. And what, but I think um, the, the thing that's really frustrating from a Tuchel point of view, I think after the game, is when he, he doubled down on that selection. Mm. As soon as it was clear that this is not how Leverkusen were going to let Bayern play, right. I think Tuchel should have changed it proper, like sooner. There was an attention issue though as well. Muller talked about it and Tuchel backed him on that and basically said, look, ultimately we lost, we lost focus. Like that goal... Ball gets so the, ripped yeah. across the box and it goes through like five players, four or five players. I think the main thing is that there's quite a while before that throw-in is taken. Not mm. a while, but it's not exactly like a super, super rapid let's go. Right. Leroy Zane is just talking to someone else and not even focused on tracking his nearest player, right? And you actually saw Leon Goretzka after the goal, like he went for Zane. Like he was just like, basically, I, you know, I don't know what right. he said, but it was like, why didn't you close that guy down? Because even when he saw him, when he switched on, he still, mm. he still really didn't do, do much like, or make much of an effort to track down. There was Robert Andrick who then mm. like crossed the ball. A little bit of luck because it goes through for Meccano's legs. Yeah. But well, you're seeing there the inexperience of a guy who, when he has played, is usually a right back playing left back in a yeah. massive game and feeling a little bit kind of lost where, of with, where Bowie yeah. kind of just doesn't really clock. The first time he sees Stanisic is when, the, is when the ball is coming out of the net. Yeah. It's the first it's, time he sees him. And yeah. Stanisic, as you will all probably have known by now, on loan from Bayern. Yeah. Um, and talk about a narrative goal. Yeah. I mean, he could, bless him, he didn't want to, he wanted no part of celebrating that. Yeah, I mean, that must be weird. I mean, that's... Yeah, super weird. Yeah, it's, but, tough. Um, it's tough for him. Geraldo that was a great goal. Doubling yeah, the sorry. scoring. That, that gorgeous, gorgeous goal that turned over. And the way that, this is the thing, you saw the Bayern team unraveling. This was maybe the most, the goal was sort of most symptomatic of what, of the gap between the teams. Ball gets turned over and they, they, they switch the play from right to left. And then it's just Bayern are always at least one combination behind this. Mm. Ball gets switched across. 
all the way to the left flank. Grimaldo cuts back in the one two with Teller and then the finish rips it top corner. And it it looks so simple, but it's not. It's because every single Bayern player has lost a step in the course of the move. It's absolutely spectacular. Um, And that, so that takes it to two nil. And by then it's basically done because you see that there's a great stat. The next 20 minutes when basically Leverkusen game control mode, they generate three shots on target to, to Bayern's none. Mm. I mean, that was just the definition of we're going to absorb everything and just cook you whenever we want. And the final goal, the Frimpong goal is hilarious for so many reasons. Not because, first, it was a gorgeous finish. Let me, get, let me just say that first. So he scores in the fifth minute of injury time. It's a gorgeous goal. He actually crosses over Guerrero, who's come on. Left, right dribble, cuts in, Bill cuts out, and then rips it from like out on the right flank about 40 yards into the corner and then runs to the touchline. First of all, he so quickly outsprints everyone, collapses in front of his mate, Evan passes on top of him, Chabi Alonso then tries to pick him up. <laughs> that fails. So Chabi says, let him just celebrate. And tries to pick him up again. <laughs> and fails. And like, Jeremy Frink, maybe it's carnival season. Look, there's a mixture yeah, of things going even on. Out in that part of Germany. Some of the outfits, by the way, were outrageously good. Outrageous. There, yeah. there was a Rudy Voller one in there, which is outstanding. And then Jeremy Frink, the real, the real, uh, Rudy Voller was also there. <laughs> he was there, yeah. <laughs> Looking like his own mannequin. And there was... A moment when you just think, Frempong's lying there. And I think Chabi Lonson was like, do you know what? Like, let the boy be. This is an absolutely monumental victory. And where was Mamor Neuer, by the way, through all of this? Because <laughs> <laughs> you just, just explained a goal and everyone's in the like... Penalty, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah Neuer was in... Who's half where, was Mamor where, Neuer? Come on, let, do we even need to explain? In the Leverkusen six-yard box when the ball Sorry, comes in. Sorry, but there was... There was <laughs> <laughs> There was a moment, so Neuer's up for the corner, even though it's 2-0. Mm. So it's not like they can even get an equaliser here. I don't really know what he's doing there at that point. It's not like it's 2-1 or 1-0 or even... Ours level. is not to reason why. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and Jonathan Tarr just wins the header and Neuer yeah. goes down and kind of does a little bit of a semi-roly-poly on the side while the ball breaks and everyone's just like, oh, fuck. But the thing is, Bayern are actually st- still kind of good. If you're going to break it, this wasn't like Daniel Marlin against Gladbach, right? Yeah, it's not, it's still a lot to do. Yeah, it's a lot to do. It's an unbelievable finish. It is. Like, it's one of the best breakaway goals like that. It's not a straight run and tap. And like, he no, has to like, no, no, he has no. to beat Guerrero on mm. a dribble. He crosses mm. him over and then rips it into the corner. So he's, yeah, it's basically him against four players which I think is one reason why he's so hyped when he scores it. And I felt like the scoreline deserved that. It needed that extra. Like I, want, I, want, I want sort of casual viewers across Europe who don't get to watch Bundesliga that often to see that scoreline and be like, whoa, that's a, a, legit, that's a legit team. We did a podcast, not to, I think just after the winter break, where we said Jabby Alonso is Leverkusen for real. This, mm. was a, this was the performance of a side who are not only for real, but actually believe they're for real. Mm. Yeah, it's such an impressive performance from top Dude, to bottom, from selection from kind of Florian strategy. Fitz. Like they were just—it's—it's it's so impressive, wow. honestly. That yeah, the fact that um, it kind of didn't feel unexpected either is a weird no, thing. No, no, it's a no. very weird thing. And this—this this is a side now who is still unbeaten in all competitions, and we're in mid-February. It's unreal. A side, it's a unreal. side that were basically flirting with relegation when Jabi Alonso took over. The, the turnaround is unreal. And um, 
you know, it's not over. Five points isn't big. And we know no. that buying of the buying teams of the past have clawed that clawed bigger uh, deficits back. There feels something very different about this year. And I know that probably means that we're going to get the inevitable result. But the thing that feels different about this year is that um, no one seems particularly happy. And yet they've got a striker in Harry Kane who is is on course to break the Bundesliga record. He's going to break the Bundesliga record for uh, a Bayern player in a debut season for sure. But I think like he could legit break the Bundesliga season goal scoring record. And mm. yet they're still like, he wasn't at fault here. Harry Kane. No, like he just no. didn't get any service whatsoever. And he's someone who can actually create stuff without much service. But even with that, he didn't get anything. I almost um, feel like the kind of the thing, maybe this is a bit of a, maybe it's a galaxy brain take, but I almost wonder if the extra defender in the build-up takes away some of the room that he likes when he's dropping deep because it all was just a bit congested in that space. You look, I mean, die like 110 passes, whatever it is. And Kane, when he looked briefly happy, was dropping deep early in this game. And there just wasn't space for that, that generation of, I just, I just feel like the tactical choices by Tuchel somehow managed to play exactly to all the weaknesses of this configuration of Bayern players in a way that he might not have anticipated mm. before kickoff. Of course he didn't, but unfortunately it just turned out that way. It turned out that, it did, yeah. you know. And nothing they, like, nothing they tried really worked. No. I would find that quite alarming actually, especially going back into the Champions League because even, even in, in the past when Bayern have been like underperforming maybe in, in domestically or they're kind of making a bit of a heavier job of it, they've still been classed as one of the best teams in Europe. And I'm mm. not entirely, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't, I think there are way too many teams in that Champions League that could sting them, which now means they're obviously going to go and win it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, any thoughts on Thomas Muller's interview afterwards? Because Thomas Muller came out and said something wow. qu- quite interesting, actually. It was in German. Um, yes. The gist of it was he was very animated. He was explaining stuff like how it was fine. It's fine on the tactics, like no problem with the coach. Yeah, he did a lot the training of personal responsibility. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he does this a lot, but he was saying how like, um, you know, it's great. We're like, it's fine in training. It's amazing. And the, it's not a coach thing, but we get out here and we kind of, we don't really have, we can't play with freedom. We don't feel like it's, we can't really play. It's not really like fun. Whereas you look at Leverkusen, not everything's planned. And he made this mm. specific thing about like Grimaldo popping up on the right flank. He's like, this isn't planned. This is just, mm. they adapt I'm paraphrasing, but like they adapt to the game state, right? Or what is played. And basically like, we can't do this, but he was really animated. He said, he came flying into the interview being like, yeah, I'm pissed yeah. off because like- He was raging, man. Yeah, he was absolutely raging. He was really raging. I think this is a thing where there's, if you look at all of the stuff this season, the stuff that happened to Tuchel pre-Dortmund um, when they went and beat Dortmund and then he's afterwards like really spiky with, uh, with Lothar Mateus on Sky basically being like, well, you and Didi Hammond basically said this, or, you know, what the fuck, what the fuck do I know kind of thing. He's been really, really prickly all season, but he's also come under like a lot of fire. But mm. that is a club who, sorry, I'm going on for a while, but that is a club, go I think, for, that for, even, even despite Tuchel, I think maybe making some, some very clear, maybe let's say like decisions that if he could have over again, he probably would, even if he publicly doubles down on. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes over that last year. Yes. And, it is a very shifting, it's a club in a very kind of like shifting state, I think on the pitch. Feels quite stale. Pitch as well. Feels quite stale. The thing, what I loved about Muller's interview, in terms of taking accountability, he was like, you know, he didn't go after Tuchel on the tactics. Because I'm not even sure if the tactics 
Look, they are they were a problem. I think that that was a bit generous not to critique them. But I think that beyond that, the point he was making about some of the decision making, um, the lack of flexibility, fluidity, the failure to really make some of the switches, even the failure to execute in short spaces, the, the failure to back up your players. You know, there was one thing he was talking about. It's almost about solidarity where you saw three or four Leverkusen players collapsing on mm. a player once they knew that person was like a, a press victim or a press weakness. They were right there. And you saw by contrast, you never really saw Bayern players hunting possession in packs. You saw so often they were just being isolated and picked off, not close together, 10 yards apart instead of five, um, five yards apart instead of three. So a good example of that, even the Grimaldo goal. There's not really a situation where Teller should be playing that. That one, two is so straightforward just to track the runner. None of that is done. It just felt like these lapses in concentration all over the pitch, the failure to take responsibility and also the pressure. I think this is a key thing as well. Bayern have won all those straight titles. And the problem now is you are, in, you're the villain every town you turn up in. You turn up in a town where like, you know, the kind of the country's against you. You turn up as the bad guy to a game where I think they had 200,000 ticket requests for this match. It's mm. unbelievable, unbelievable sort of a uh, demand for, for tickets this game. So everyone's come along to see big bad Bayern knocked off their perch. It's very difficult to play with freedom in a situation where you know that your elite goal scorer has kind of been bailing you out quite a few games. It's like that late in the off season, wasn't it? Exactly that. I know it sounds a bit mean to say it, but Harry Kane has been covering up a multitude of sins. Like the goals in that team are not evenly distributed and he is a key reason. And when he's not firing or not getting opportunities, what are you left with? You're left with a team that's not functioning well up against a desperately hungry Leverkusen side who've heard all the chat, they've heard all the sarcastic jokes, like all the butt of the jokes, and they've come back with a fully refined, you know, and shout out to Peter Bosch because it started, I think, with him in terms of some of the quality of football. That, you know, some of the freedom that Leverkusen have played with, we love Peter Bosch, some of the freedom was there, but maybe not the control, but now somehow they've got this perfect blend of flowing football in the early 2000s, Bosch style, but also... Chabi Alonso knows when to turn it on and off, knows when to adapt, when to come and seek possession, when to give it up. And I just think that what Thomas Miller was describing in that interview is the culmination of all that, where we met all of our dysfunction, had to look in the mirror, and we had no answers to it. We had also, no answers. Yeah, yeah. Also, well, just one, can I add, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think one extra thing with that as well is that all of the people with experience in that Leverkusen side are performing really, really well. Mm. Yeah, and it's just not yeah. happening at Bayern. Actually, no, they're yeah. not. No, Goretzka. You look at Goretzka. Neuer's not been who the was same. Not one, not one of Tuchel's favourites. Upamecano, bless him, has found actually some better form. Had some injury problems as well. The telling moment on the bench in the second half, when Goretzka, Pavlovich, and who was the third one on the bench? Uh, Upamecano on the bench, and they look like naughty children. <laughs> yeah, I actually think Goretzka's yeah. not been playing that badly. I think he's been. I, he's I think not. He's, he's actually not, been he's pretty not. good. He just needs like he. I think he's. They just can't seem to settle. They can't seem to get. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, but yeah, he wor- um, he works best in combination, and the combinations haven't been there. No, um, and yeah. the game was delayed. The kickoff because mm. uh, more protests this weekend all across the Bundesliga and Zweite Bundesliga actually. Uh, about the DFL's uh, vote on the on um, accepting outside investment into the league on a commercial kind of point of view, 
This was a vote we mentioned, I think, went th- it, uh, it got rejected because it didn't get the numbers and then it went back again and got the numbers. Um, there have been a lot of protests all across the, the, the German football calendar. Uh, this time, because it was carnival, all these sweets got thrown on the pitch. Yes. <laughs> Dortmund do the tennis balls and uh, chocolate uh, money, which they also did in the Champions League. This is something that I'd like to do more on. I don't think we've got time to do it today, but right. there have been a lot of statements this weekend from fan groups, uh, fan alliance groups as well, dismissing the legality of the vote because of the ownership model in Germany. And they feel that like, fans haven't had a voice in this. I mean, Union had a second half, was it first half delayed by 25 minutes, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Highest yeah, 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 um, yeah. foul fans uh, attached bike locks to the goals. And when we've got a quiet week, maybe we'll kind of... Um, or a quieter show than today, we'll maybe do a little bit more of a deeper thing on that. Because got, I've got a feeling there's going to be maybe more news coming out on that at some point, mm. and we can revisit it properly and give it the, yeah. the proper backstory. Um, so anyway, Bayer Leverkusen, five points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. Stuttgart beat Mainz 3-1 and uh, are still third. They've closed the gap to Bayern to seven points. Uh, Dortmund beat Freiburg 3-0 on Friday night and are comfortably fourth now. They've got a three-point gap on Leipzig, who... Drew at Augsburg, only one win since the winter break, and that was against Union. Mm. Um, three straight defeats afterwards, uh, that win against Union and then a draw. Uh, down the bottom, Union beat Wolfsburg at home. Really good win that for beat them. Beat Wolfsburg at home, yeah. I mean, uh, it was good because Cologne drew away at Hoffenheim. Yeah. And, uh, and Mainz lost at Stuttgart, like we mentioned. So they've, they've got a five-point gap now on Cologne. Glad back on a weird one. They drew 0-0 with Darmstadt at home. Yeah, poor result that. Yeah, they're in a strange, uh, yeah. Only strange one wins is coming back and that was against Stuttgart, so their form's just been mm. really, really strange. Yeah. Not looking good for Wolfsburg either. They're, they're winless since they've come back and they go, uh, they host Dortmund next. Mm. Let's take a quick break and then we'll round up some other stuff before we get out of here. All right, man, Premier League. Wow. Um, well, we have to talk about Arsenal. We have to. I mean... 6-0 against West Ham and the football, Ryan. They were really good, huh? They were, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be a lot of, it's always, there's always um, an inclination in these situations to kind of critique the team that gets absolutely like hosed. But Arsenal playing Trossard as a false nine, just time and again, just cut through. There are times when you feel, all the talk about Arsenal needing like a certain type of striker. This weekend actually was a great advert for like very fluid front threes. If you look at what Leverkusen did with Adley, Witz and uh, Teller and what Arsenal did here with Martinelli, Saka and Trossard, unmarkable. Absolutely. Um, just pulling an immobile, relatively mobile West Ham backline all over the place. Just total this way, 4-0 at halftime. Reminiscent actually of that game I always talk about, the 4-0 at halftime at Highbury. Mm, um, at the Wenger years. Yeah, the Wenger years actually. Yeah. Um, and this was just spectacular from Arsenal. Saka looked superb. Declan Rice against his old team scoring the goal of the game, the pick of the game. Saliba scoring a beauty. Like, can I just say this about Arsenal, right? When Julian Timber got, in, got uh, injured early in the season, this was seen as, oh my God, like, he was a piece of the puzzle. That injury means that Arsenal basically done. Mm. Gabriel Jesus gets an injury this year. And it's just not that big a deal. Not that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But like Arsenal can absorb 
a loss like that so much better than than the previous season. And they just looked they just looked absolutely brilliant. They did. I think How- it was obviously I think West Ham were not good as well and that contributed no. to it. But I just think there's a this was a tricky game this. I didn't have a great feeling going into this. Arsenal lost at home to West Ham and lost there in the League Cup. Right. Drew there last season after being 2-0 up at half time. And yeah, I was I was a little bit nervous after the Liverpool game. I think the perfect response after the Liverpool game. And yeah, hard to hard to think of anything to really fault from an Arsenal point of view. Bakai Saka became the youngest Arsenal player to hit 50 goals. Goodness, 50. There, yeah, and it was Arsenal's joint biggest margin of victory in a away league game ever. The last time they had such a margin was against Villa in 1935. Goodness me. Uh, and for West Ham, on the other side of that, it was their heaviest ever Premier League home defeat and their joint heaviest of all time, which was uh, an 8-2 defeat against Blackburn in 63-64. So quite a historic day no matter how maybe bad West Ham were and Arsenal and yeah. how good Arsenal were uh, but yeah very very good all round it was important for Arsenal to win that because Liverpool and City had both won on Saturday Liverpool beating Burnley 3-1 an mm. amazing header from Darwin Nunez yeah just uh, actually all, all headers in this game I think all four oh, goals yeah. are headers yeah 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 nice pretty wild pretty fun um, very good from Liverpool Endo back in there as well which is good to see Trent Alexander-Arnold became the leading all-time assist maker in the Premier League for a defender. And he's still only 25. That's incredible. And uh, I imagine whatever he ends his career on is probably going to take some beating. Do you know what? Can I be honest with you? There's not many stats that blow my mind, but that... Look, I know it's as much a conversation about how his role or that, that position has evolved, but even with that, it's still an astonishing stat. Do you know who's second? Gary Neville. <laughs> Andrew Robertson. No, yeah. that's wild. And Talk who's third? I'm not going to guess that. Leighton Baines. Leighton so, Baines, of course. Something in, something in Liverpool, man, about, the, uh, about fullbacks and assists. David Moyes ahead of his time. Wow. Look at him go. Yeah, cool, huh? Anyway. Fourth, Seamus Coleman. No, anyway. <laughs> Shout out to Trent. Obviously, you know, that's big favourite of ours. That's incredible. Man City beating Everton 2-0. Making slightly harder work of it than you might expect at home. But they came through eventually, two goals from Haaland. Second particularly nice. Branthwaite bouncing off him. Pace and power. Oh God. But if it's, if it's going to be pace and power, then do it like that. That's what we like to see. That I'd like to see. So a great finish from him. Huge win for Sheffield United over Luton. Massive. Sheffield United who came out, they kind of did a Luton in terms of the intensity they came out with. And they, that was a great, great win for them. They had a really bad early miss um, from Archer, but he finished, you know, he redeemed himself uh, mm-hmm. quite soon after that with a great finish. 3-1 win, maybe a contentious, a couple of these penalties, Ryan. <sighs> I don't know anymore what handball is and isn't. Yeah, it was a tremendous win for them considering everything that they're sort of struggling at the moment. Uh, Newcastle with a good win over Nottingham Forest, or Fulman at least. Bruno Gimaraes, who is my favourite Newcastle player. With except maybe Isaac. Um, it's called a cracking winner there. Shout for Spurs, late win over Brighton. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. Going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great resilience from them. And Manchester United doing the season double over Aston Villa. It's so interesting how they can't seem... It's so, it's so weird how Villa just can't seem to get past United. It's so funny, actually. Man United are just a fundamentally weird football team. 
absolute bogey team for Villa, which I didn't really sort of see coming at the start of Villa's brilliant Scott run. Scott McTominay, that, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a bad result for Villa. I would say that. That's a bad result. And Man United essentially just playing the Premier League equivalent of ISO ball. They're just like, <laughs> give Scott the ball and get out of the way. Absolutely. Actually, shout out for Rasmus Hoyland, who is in really good goal scoring form good goal. in the Premier League. Yeah, just, just a really, really good player. Give it more service and he's fine. So yeah, that's kind of the main drama. Oh, shout out for Brentford winning away at Wolves. Yep, yep. Very, good very good that. win for Brentford. And uh, yep. Fulham beating Bournemouth and looking very comfortable in that. Mm. We're going to move on from the Premier League because uh, we've done Premier League quite a lot the last few weeks. But let's go to Spain. Mm. Let's do it. Jude Bellingham scored more goals for Real Madrid than any other English player. Or is he levelled? He's level, I think, with Beckham and Laurie Cunningham. That's it. 20 think, goals, right? Already 20 goals. 20 and 29. 20. He's not a striker. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Real, yeah. Real Madrid beat him. Girona in the top of the table clash on the weekend uh, to open up a five-point gap. 4-0 win. Mm, they Another absolutely demolished them and it, oh, it you know, started you, early then I knew they were in big trouble when I saw Truemani at centre back <laughs> these people do not ramp when I saw that I thought oh no oh no <laughs> that midfield and that defence no nonsense Cruz Camavinga centre mid Valverde outright just power and endurance and then out left you had Vinicius who was spectacular two assists and that wonder goal it takes something for Jude Bellingham to score twice and to have the headlines stolen but that is just how good Vinicius was and almost as if he was responding to the news of the acquisition of Mbappe in summer not that he was but let's for, for narrative's sake <laughs> blame is a nine that, well, blame, yeah, this blame is Vinicius is a nine well actually or, yeah but play here's the thing you play um, Vinicius wide on the left then you have Bellingham in behind Mbappe and Mbappe gets to roam the entire front line. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's a good job. It's a good job Ancelotti just signed his new contract because otherwise it sounded like they might have been getting Muswak Wonga in the dugout. (laughs) Muswak Wonga came with a portfolio. (laughs) Did you audition? Did you you interview? I came with a dossier. I came with a dossier armed with facts. So guys, I have ideas. (laughs) Why don't we play a 0-6-4 formation? Oh, I play with no keeper, definitely. I definitely. I don't know. I'm playing a keeper, but zero six four. That's my uh, none at the back, six in midfield, four up front, and just. Yes. <laughs> we don't need defenders. Where we're we going, we don't need defenders. I tell you what, this this. Um, <laughs> <we're> say, shut, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I I love that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Kamavinga in this game was a marvel. I just love the way this man skips through midfield. He's such a dangerous runner from deep. This is the thing. It's just, a, it's just one of those problems you have to, just another problem you have to solve that you didn't, you weren't anticipating, you weren't enjoying it. No one likes. this. I don't this, understand but, how he can like, it's unreal. waltz around the middle of the Bernabeu pitch looking more chill than he does when he, when he was like walking on for Instagram. fashion labels. This man actually more relaxed on a football pitch than he is on Instagram, which is saying something because he's pretty chill on Instagram actually. Affable dude. You know, you see him like, People joke around with him, they have a bit of fun, and they have the memes, it's all good nature, and it's just like quite affable. So, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Where I'm playing today, boss, it's a, it's a Bernardo Silva thing, isn't it? Mm. Where I'm playing today, left back, I'll do that. Left wing, yeah, I'll do that. False nine, if he had to, he'd do that. I mean, he's spectacular. He was great, but Vinicius has to get the props here. So he cuts in off the flank, rips one in off the post for the opener, 
and then feeds Belling with a spectacular pass outside of the right foot, Modric style, outside of the right foot from the left touchline. And then Bellingham goes like all old school Ian Rush, one touch past the keeper, left foot finish. And then in the second half, Vinicius continues his domination of the flank, crosses over his fullback, has a shot, gets palmed to Bellingham's path, 3-0, and that's done. And then Rodrigo scores a gorgeous driving fourth right at the heart of the defence and gets his fourth goal. And look, Rodrigo again, shout out to him because he's really upped his goal output. And just a really great demonstration from Madrid. Ancelotti is fully aware of it. And he, he came out with a fairly, pretty bullish statement after this game in terms of, he's, he's normally quite measured, but he came out after this game and he was like, that's a big blow. Like that mm-hmm. is, a, I think because Girona had not been noisy, I'm not trying to sort of critique them in that sense, but there'd been a lot of talk, I think, about Girona's quality. And I think this was really a sense of, we're going to make a point here. Yeah, yeah. Did you see Rodrigo's t-shirt after he scored? No, I didn't. No, no, what was it? So he lifted up his shirt and just said Musa Who on it. It was really funny. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> well, I love you, so deal with that. Um, good weekend for Real Madrid. Very good. Like none of the other top four won and uh, they're looking like they're going to Going to get the league done. I can't see it. They're, they're the best side in La Liga. That goal like, difference, man. Plus yeah. 37. Jeez. The only thing about it is that Jude went off, didn't he? Mm. Also, I mean, they've got the depth. Yeah, that'll be fine. Do you want to give a quick shout out to Serie A? Do we need to... Very quickly. I just want to quickly shout out um, Bologna for their 4-0 win um, at the weekend. They were really, I mean, they're looking great. They're now, I think, fifth. And they're in and around like the Champions League spots. I mean, if... Bologna gets Champions League. That is an absolutely spectacular outcome for them. Yeah, we mentioned Roma beating, you mentioned Roma beating, in, uh, sorry, Inter beating Roma 4-2 in Rome. Yeah, that, that's maybe the most, um, in, not intriguing. Yeah, that's maybe the most interesting of the fixtures. It was a really, really good game that as well. Really good game. Milan beating Napoli. Yes, 1-0. Uh, Teo Hernandez, first half goal. Lovely assist from Rafael. Yes, but not, not a wild surprise this because Napoli just aren't, well, first of all, Osimhen's away, AFCON. The only disappointment for Napoli is that they haven't reverted to the mean. They've reverted to lower than the mean. Mm. They are below par. Like, regardless, I know it's a tough title year. Lost uh, a couple of good big big players as well, though. Yeah, yeah, they did. And just that appointment, obviously losing Spalletti was huge, huge, huge huge, and and getting Garcia and just didn't. It's not the one. Uh, All right, everyone, we're going to leave it there. Champions League is back this week, so you and I will do Thursday and we'll talk about the first four of the... Round of 16. Can't wait. First four games of the round of 16. So looking forward to it. Don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on The System by Stanford Shirley. Anything you would like to add, Musog Wonga? Nothing further. Nothing further. Are you sure? Yes, absolutely. Are you positive? Absolutely positive. No? You sure? No. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) All right, everyone. Much love. We'll be back with you on Thursday. See you then. The system's getting the better off my people each day. The system is causing the kids to cheat their way. The system, come and tell you about the system. The system, come and tell you about the system. The system is causing the kids to sniff cocaine. The system is causing.
the youths to blow their brains. The sea steam, come make me tell you about the sea steam. The sea steam, come make me tell you about the sea steam. They say by the sweat of your brow, men shall he pray. But hey, Mr. Big Man, you're taking your jobs instead. Your sea steam, come make me tell you about the sea steam. The sea steam, come make me tell you about the sea Mr. Big Man, Mr. Big Man, can't you see what your system has been doing to me? Mr. Big Man, Mr. Big Man, can't you see what your system has been doing to me? Your system, come and tell you about your system. Your system, come and tell you about your system.